Election day for the 29th Tribal Council of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs is Wednesday, March 30th. Voting is 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. at the Warm Springs Community Center. COVID-19 protocols will be in place for entry into the polls with face masks required. On election day, tribal elders will have the option to vote while remaining in their car in the community center parking lot. Drop boxes for absentee ballots are also located at the Simnasha Longhouse and at the Sikh Fire Hall. On Tuesday, March 22nd, a virtual agency district candidate forum was held on Zoom. KWSO recorded the comments. Those running to represent the agency district on the 29th Tribal Council include Rain Circle, Michael Clements, Raina Estimo, Eugene Green Jr., Anita Jackson, Danny Kachaya, Uran Leonard Jr., James Mannion, Daniel Martinez, Sherelle Mitchell, William Sam, Alvis Smith III, Glendon Smith, Jason Wesley Smith, Jonathan W. Smith, Ryan Smith Sr., Val Switzler, and Dennis White III. Those are the agency district candidates for tribal council. The top three vote-getters win election for a three-year term. Election day is Wednesday, March 30th. We now share the audio from the Agency District Virtual Candidate Forum here on KWSO in an effort to enlighten tribal member voters about the candidates and to encourage everyone to make sure and vote. My name is Amanda Swimpanyazi. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm the daughter of Edison Yazi and Atwai Priscilla Swimpanyazi, the granddaughter of Atwai Earl and Rita Swimpin. And I currently live in Portland and grew up in Sidwalter Flats. So I'll be your moderator this evening and just want to give a quick shout out to Mikey, Shailene, and Sue for coming together and um, bringing our community together to ask to put together this um, forum. So with that being said, I will continue on. So part of our community guidelines for this um, virtual space we find ourselves in is that we're asking us asking everyone to just really be respectful of everyone um, who's present in this room. We're here trying our very best to hear directly from the candidates. Um, we're asking that you use no profanity um, in this space just because you know it's going to be recorded, it's a public space and we're all here as one big community. Um, we're asking that you remain muted while others are talking. And then if you're calling in from a phone or you're on the computer, there should be a little button that looks like a little microphone. And if you click that or unclick it, um, that'll mute you or unmute you. And if you're on your phone to mute or unmute, it would be star six. Moving on, feel free to use the chat box through this um, Zoom platform. Any questions that are brought up during this event will be shared with all the candidates who RSVP'd or showed up in person. Shout out to Austin, who's using Mikey's computer um, over there at his job because he had connectivity issues. Um, so any candidates who RSVP'd are currently in this space will receive the questions that were brought up in the chat box. Unfortunately, we will not be using those questions this evening, but there will be an opportunity for candidates to see them. And lastly, this event will be recorded. Um, just wanted to put that flag out there because uh, that's recording we in progress. And there's your recording memo. So if you press got it on your computer, that will give 
permission to us to be able to record this space. And feel free to turn your camera off if you don't feel comfortable having um, your face seen. So those are our community guidelines. Uh, please follow them to the best of your ability. And if you have any questions, feel free to private message either Shailene or Mikey um, if you have any questions or need any um, support. So the overview of this space is all the questions that are going to be asked this evening are directly from the community and were pulled directly from social media and KWSO. So all the, all the questions that you see are directly from the community. None of them came from us. Um, so going on to like the format, each candidate will be called on and asked a question and will then have one minute to answer the question that the moderator asks. And we'll have a timekeeper, which is Sue. Um, and real quick, Sue, if you want to uh, ding your little bell uh, to show folks what the bell will sound like. At 45 seconds, you'll get a visual cue. And then the 60 second bell is that. We are going to be starting with brain circle. And the question that we are starting with is just the introductions for every candidate. So we'll have every candidate go through this, answer this question. Why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? And Sue is doing the timer and Rain, once you start talking, your timer will start. Okay, thank you for that question. I had to unmute myself. Um, the reason I am running for tribal council is because I believe that um, my experience as a leader in the 23 years I was in the military will help immensely with creating a bond and a team sense of uh, togetherness in the tribe. I've worked extensively with uh, large and small groups. And I think uh, from what I've seen since I've been home, uh, there is a fracture and there is a lack of sense of community. Um, and I understand how to help mend and repair that. So um, all my experience doing that um, over the globe and Iraq and Kosovo and around, you know, all over the place, I think will help that immensely. Um, and also I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's not because I want status. It's not because I feel that I need to do something. I'm retired, so I have a paycheck. I don't really, I, I would be more than happy to do this without pay because it's the right thing to do. Um, and it seems that every path I've taken has led me to be a leader for our people in our tribe um, because it's important and it's the right thing to do. I'll be, I will provide purpose, direction, motivation and accountability if I'm elected. Thank you. So next we'll hear from Jen Manon. Um, why are you running for a tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? All right, thank you everybody for jumping on tonight. I appreciate your time and uh, wanting to learn more about us. Uh, why am I running for tribal council? Uh, I'm running for tribal council because I believe uh, I can bring a few things to the table that uh, we have used over the course of the last uh, several years in uh, helping advance the tribes in some of the things that I've been involved in. 
Uh, we've uh, recently um, uh, acquired additional interest in the Pelton Roundview project, and that was a fairly large undertaking with several moving uh, pieces to, to getting that done. Uh, worked with the previous tribal councils the past, really the past uh, uh, 30 years, I've uh, been working with the tribal council, have, uh, have gotten, I think, uh, some experience in listening. Uh, the best thing, I think, I was taught early on is uh, uh, to listen and uh, hear what the people want and try to work towards that goal. So uh, that's uh, hopefully why you'd vote for me. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. And next we'll hear from Raina Estimo. Why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Um, so I'm running for tribal council because just like Rain said, I feel like it's something that I need to do. Uh, I feel like um, I just don't like the direction of our government. And I feel like I have a strong background in both law and government. I understand the purpose of government, its limits and its boundaries. And while those things are important, I think that um, the most important reason I'm running for council is because I feel like we're missing people who have provided service to the community in any recent time period. And I feel like when you when you provide a service to the community, you really get to know your community. I've worked with the community in all different levels from, you know, from youth to elders and and it's always been in a form of service. So I feel like I have a very strong understanding of the overall needs of the community. And I think that I just, I just understand the community and I feel like I'm very transparent as well. And that my communication, you know, I wanna make sure that the community always knows what's going on. And so Sorry. my understanding Sorry to cut you off, Rita. Um, I, I realize now we cannot hear the bell. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. You may be able to continue to answer um, later on. Um, but okay, thank you. At this time, we're going to move on to Danny Kachaya. So, Danny, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Well, good evening. Thank everyone for being here. My name is Danny Kachaya. My Indian name is Kuff. Um, I come from the Kachaya Switzler Nose families. But the main reason why I have chose to run for tribal council is I feel that I, I have always stepped up to volunteer and to help with our tribe in various different reasons. A lot of it came with youth and their activities, moving on to serving on different boards, which... I have always feel like, you know, we need to have a good voice out there. The reason why I chose to run is because I feel like I can offer um, some leadership, some being able to ask some tough questions. Uh, it, it's just a wide range of reasons why I really feel like now is an important time for me to step up. Um, I know that a lot of people see me as a devil's advocate, so I want to become part of the solution in helping our tribe. We all know our tribe needs a different direction. And, you know, and this is nothing against the leaders who are currently in. This is just we need change. And I want to be part of that change and bring that so our people feel like they have a voice, 
feel like they're being heard and just get the respect that I believe our people deserve. And that's one of the main reasons why I chose to run. Great. Thank you, Danny, so much. Um, next, we will hear from Anita Jackson. Why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Thank you for uh, having this forum and everybody for participating. Um, I'm running for tribal council because I uh, have, am serving on the council this term. And there are a lot of projects that um, we have started that I would like to see finished. And three years goes by really fast when you're in government. Um, and then, you know, we were complicated with the water issue and then even more so with COVID. So I think I still have a lot to offer. I went to almost, I hardly ever missed any meetings. I'm not working. Um, <clears throat> I'm retired. And uh, so I devote all my time to the council table and to working for the people. So um, that's why I'm running. I think I, I have a lot to offer. I have an education. I came back and have worked for my people ever since then. And I love my community. And I, I hope that, uh, you know, I can make some positive changes as well. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Um, next, we will hear from Val Switzler. Uh, Val, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Good evening and thank you for having this forum. I'm running because I believe that I can help our people because I have a good qualities that can help create a balance around the table. I have a firm understanding of the constitution and bylaws, the treaty, the proclamation, sovereignty. I also believe that I have and can make good relationships with uh, federal and state uh, partners and departments. And so I know that it's, um, you know, when you're you're in this capacity, you have to be able to work with a lot of different people. And so that's, you know, and I've been successful at doing that kind of thing. So I really appreciate, um, you know, doing this and uh, having the opportunity to be that voice for our people once more. Thank you. Perfect. Right on the money, right on the minute. Thank you, Val. Um, next, we'll hear from Dennis White. Uh, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Well, hello. Thank you all for being here. Um, first and foremost, you know, it's communication. Uh, that that was key in me deciding to run. Um, like everybody else out there, I had the same same questions on, you know, what was going on. You know what was happening we're not getting any communication and you know for for years you know i i've just kind of always waited for for the same answers you know and i want to be there i want to be the one that communicates with the people uh, i love the community i served the community for over 22 years in law enforcement uh firsthand firsthand on the ground boots on the grounds with our community you know and accountability that that goes a long way with me um you know we are held to a standard you know we get on we, the, the table is held to a standard to communicate to people 
And, you know, the people need to be in these decision makings. I believe the people need to speak up also and be part of this voice, be part of all these, these major things that are going on. So first and foremost was communication. That's, that's what made me want to run. That's what made me decide to run. I want to be there for the people. I want to let the people know what's going on. Um, that way the community will understand. They know where we're coming from. And they know that we're working with them. And I think that's all people want is to know we're working for them. We are there for them. And that's all I got to say on that before I get cut off in a minute. There we go. <laughs> Perfect, right on the minute. Our next person we will hear from is Cheryl Mitchell. Um, Cheryl, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Ms. Clowett, everyone. Um, hello, my name is Cheryl Mitchell. My Indian name is Patasi. Uh, one of the reasons why I am running for tribal council was I was addressed um, in the last year to think about running for tribal council, um, and I did, and I just want to be a voice at the table for our people. I am a listener um, with my background in counseling and psychology. I, that's what I do. I listen, and I ponder, and try and think of the best solution to figure out the problem. Um, I worked with our babies in the baby room at EC all the way up to our elders in the community. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, next, we will hear from Austin Green, who is tuning in from Mikey's computer. So Austin, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Okay, thank you. I, I want to thank... Uh, the co-host that put this together tonight um, and Mikey offering me a place because of connectivity problems. But, you know, I've served uh, on the 24th, 25th, 26th and 27th tribal council. And I, I felt I had learned a lot by sitting and listening on my first term to those elders that sat around that table and they were very instrumental in my growth. And listening is very key uh, to being on tribal council. And of course, communicating back to the, the membership is was important as well. And, you know, I, I was, uh, I've been in recreation now for 42 plus years. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of kids and community members go come through there and they've always asked me to always consider it uh, coming back to council because I felt, you know, although I, I remained on the 28th with a committee member under the health and welfare, I still take that very uh, deep in my mind that, you know, I, I can still serve and, and, uh, I appreciate those that have stepped up and asked me to consider this run at council again, because I feel like I'm a leader. I could communicate and I could uh, do what's best for this tribe at this time. Thank you. Thank you. 
next we will hear from Glendon Smith, who I see joined a moment ago. So Glendon, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Hey, good evening. Uh, thank you for allowing me to talk here. Uh, I'm running for council because um, we got a lot of unfinished business with the water treatment plant. Uh, we got Bluestone engaged in the priorities that have been set by tribal council, which include education, housing, uh, vocal rehab, or workforce, um, economic development, infrastructure. Um, yeah, so in the survey went out to the community for input and we're, we're, we've done a phase two launch. So it's important to maintain that momentum we got with the, with the priorities. Um, there's just so much going on. We're, we're dealing with the water treatment plant that's going to be a twenty, at least a twenty-four million dollar project. There's a lot of coordination that needs to be done, and that that involves tribal council, and not just tribal council, the the stakeholders like like our insurance and our funding agencies and uh, our sorry, uh, I utilities. Yeah. You um, I'm I. I don't think you were here when we were mentioning how the timer is working. Uh, Sue Matters from KWSO is has a timer and um, has a 45-second warning. So, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I didn't, yes. know, I didn't realize how long we're allowed to talk, but yeah, I can so go on sorry. and on. Uh, I, I could say so much, but, I, you know, I've worked at the court, and you do a lot of listening at the court, and I've yeah. had a lot of experience listening in tribal council. So yeah. there's one thing I'm good at. It's listening. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you, everyone will have more time to uh, elaborate on their thoughts, but just for the time being and the amount of candidates that we have, as a reminder, we do have Sue, who is our timekeeper. Every candidate will have one minute to speak, um, and she is spotlighted, so everyone should be able to see them on their screen. She's giving a 45-second uh, warning, and then you should hear a bell. Um, there's an example in the bell. Uh, which is the one minute timer. Ryan Smith, we'll go to you. Uh, why are you running for tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you for um, doing the meeting. I know um, running the meeting is, is pretty difficult and I've run a meeting through my years of experience here, but I, I think um, mostly I, I, I just want to say, you know, I went to school to come back to work for the tribe and, uh, and part of that working was on the Fish and Wildlife Committee, where I was a um, chairman, vice chairman, secretary, and, you know, all the officers um, do have a degree in environmental studies from the University of Oregon. And uh, I just think, uh, if anything, a, a fair expectation of a manageable workload is real important to do for this council, just based on that. And, uh, you know, continue uh Campus plan, water infrastructure, wastewater, tribal business, man, master plan, et cetera, et cetera. But that's about as short as it gets. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Ryan. You nailed that in like 45 seconds. Um, okay, let's go to our next question. And this next question will be going to um, Jim Manning. So if Mikey, you can go to the next question, please. And... 
we will go ahead and go into the questions that we have put together for you all that are from the community. And again, as a reminder, uh, Sue Matters is keeping time and she is spotlighted on your screen. So Jim, um, the question that we have for you is, how do you hold yourself accountable and to ethical standards? How have you done the tribe due diligence as an employee to be considered to lead the organization? Uh, how do I hold my account uh, myself to ethical standards is really by the way I was raised, uh, being responsible, accountable, uh, and uh, aware of uh, the things that you do and how they impact other people. Uh, so I, I think that's how I was, uh, how I would handle that question. And then the second part of that. Uh, how have you done the tribe due diligence as an employee? to be considered to lead the organization? Okay, what what I guess I, I can speak to there is really uh, just uh, being involved in the energy business for the tribes and, and overseeing that operation and uh, gaining the experience really from uh, really all aspects of, of operation from the engineering aspects to how these plants are put together to the administrative functions and how you account for the operation uh, uh, within a within a budget, and then what do you do to bring value to the tribes? And the value really comes in in many ways. Uh, economics is one of them. Uh, generate value for the tribes. General fund. Uh, the other one is uh, resource management. Uh, managing the project to ensure that the natural resources are being. Uh, respected and utilized in the way that uh, we've all been, uh, I think, uh, trained and raised to, uh, to manage. Thank you, Jim. And next, we will take the question over to Val Switzler. Uh, Val, how do you hold yourself accountable and to ethical standards? And how have you done the tribe due diligence as an employee to be considered to lead the organization? I just want to you know, acknowledge all of the people that have helped mold me um, to the person that I am today, because without language, culture, and traditions, those uh, in that realm have innate um, strengths and values that is centered around our creator. And so I... Uh, use those strengths and build upon those strengths and draw from the strengths of the ones that have taught me before. And, you know, so all of that has our core values uh, inside of those. I have uh, brought in, uh, as far as education uh, branch, it is only four years old after being, you know, taken apart. It's only four years old, but I've brought in millions of dollars to the pro to the programs here, helping uh, rebuild education, and so I've, you know, I'm really uh, thankful that uh, I've had this opportunity to help uh, start building a foundation that is centered on all of those values that I've expressed. Thank you. And we will now take it over to Rain. So, Rain, how would you handle a scenario where you have to make a difficult decision on tribal council that might upset people? Um, I would handle that scenario with what makes the most sense for the 
the, the majority of the people, right? Um, when it comes to making decisions, not everybody's going to be happy. And I understand that. And I've had to make those decisions in my life, um, in the military and outside the military. Um, but fiscally, uh, morally, ethically, culturally, uh, and heritage and tradition and sovereignty, those are, that's a lot of, it's a lot of balls in the air to try and make sure that when they land, um, you consider all of those equally, but also figure out which ones are the most important with that particular decision. So when it comes to making a difficult decision, I understand that not everybody will be happy, um, but I do also understand that um, considering our culture, tradition, our people, our values is going to be what influences us most, as well as listening to what the people want um, and what they've told me that they want. We can hear it now. Is yes, we can hear you, Mike. So, uh, why are you running for tribal council, and why should we support you to be elected? Yeah, I'm running for council. Uh, I've always wanted to help the people and serve the people. I've done so all my life. So, based on where we are today, it's my hope to be able to help by being elected to tribal council. Now, I believe I'm qualified. I have a lot of experience and knowledge of all the documents, the history, uh, background to the organization, uh, worked in a lot of positions in the organization, in management, in executive management, and uh, also served as a officer on the tribal council. The last council I served on, I was the second vice chair. So I just feel I'm qualified and I can help. I think my experience and knowledge would be valuable to the council. I'm retired. I, I can give it all my attention. And uh, so I think uh, I could be helpful in working with whomever gets elected. Uh, I do have a platform of uh, short-term uh, projects, I believe, that need to be done. Uh, as soon as possible. That would be my advice to partners. Um, sorry, Mike. Members sorry, of the Mike, to cut you off. Um, as a reminder, we do have a one-minute time limit, and we have Sue from KWSO who's keeping time with the bell and um, just to kind of keep us on track to hear from every candidate. So sorry to cut you off. Um, you'll have more opportunity to elaborate on your thoughts uh, as we go forward in the run of show. But thank you for being okay. here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Um, Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye. Uh, next, we'll hear from Alvis Smith III, who I see has joined. Um, so, Alvis, if you can answer the question of why are you running for a tribal council and why should we support you to be elected? The reason I, I'm running, I just see, I mean, as well as everyone else, I mean, the people we make, we got a lot of demands right now in the direction we're going and we're not getting answers. We want answers. We want to hold people accountable. I think my experience in my field is, is where a lot of our concerns are nowadays. And I think I have a lot to offer in the construction field. And I mean, I've had, I think, I mean, I think, with the people, I'm, I live with the people. I I live daily with the people. I'm already serving the people. 
And I just believe that we kind of lost track of where, where we are as people. And we just need to start working together again. And I think, I mean, I, I bring that to the table. I'm able to bring people together. We need leadership that will work together. And I think, I mean, that's just where I'm just, I just get overwhelmed and just frustrated with the direction we're going right now. And to hold people accountable. And that's, that's what I bring to the table. Thank you. Great. Thank you, um, Elvis. And next we will hear from Sherelle Mitchell. So Sherelle, how would you handle a scenario where you had to make a difficult, difficult decision on tribal council that might upset people? How I would handle a scenario where you had to make a difficult decision. Um, for example, I am the supervisor of CPS, so I have to make difficult decisions pretty much on a daily basis for our tribal children. So knowing that I can ponder and think of the best scenario to better serve my people, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to lose reception. Sorry. No worries. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, and next slide, please, Mikey. Great. Thank you. Um, so next we'll hear from uh, Glendon Smith. What ways can official tribal council information be professionally and routinely shared with tribal membership for transparency when it comes to both routine and major decisions? One way is the way it's being done now through Spillii. There, you see a lot of information in the summaries. Uh, another way is making our resolutions more available to the community. Uh, and like we're doing now, I think it'd be good if we had more of these Zoom meetings um, to share with the membership what what kind of decisions were made on what. Uh, there's just so many decisions that that are made in council, whether it's resolution or by motion, that the people should be aware of. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Thank you. Um, and we'll go next to Reina Estimo um, with the same question. What ways can official tribal council information be professionally and routinely shared with the tribal membership for transparency when it comes to both routine and major decisions? Thank you for the question. Um, for me, I think the easiest way to be transparent is to live stream council meetings. That's the easiest way to do it. Um, there are a lot of other different ways, and I'm glad Glendon brought up having resolutions accessible, easily accessible, because I requested a resolution from Glendon about three weeks ago, and I still haven't gotten it. But I think there needs to be a database, which we could do from our tribal website or else create, I know KWSO has their own app, we could create a tribal app that's secure, and we need to create a database that has immediate access to resolutions, to attendance, to live stream meetings, to, you know, to voting records. I mean, this is stuff that's standard in all different forms of government. So I, I think it's, I think it would be pretty easy, but I think it's going to start with live streaming council meetings and you can have live immediate access to what's going on in chambers. Great. That was right on the one minute mark. Thank you, Raina. 
Um, we're going to go over to the next question, Mikey, please. Um, thank you. And I'm going to give this question to Anita Jackson. What are some ways you successfully deal with toxic behavior and setting clear boundaries for yourself? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I guess toxic behavior uh, is unwanted behavior. Um, and I, I set clear boundaries for myself um, in everything I do. I've, I've always had to do that since I worked in the court system for a long time. And, uh, you know, I've had to, to hold myself to ethical standards. Um, sometimes it's been difficult. And sometimes it's just, uh, you know, people don't understand that you're holding yourself accountable when you make decisions that you do. But I've never shied away from making uh, hard decisions. Um, I don't think I have toxic behavior. Maybe people disagree with me on that. I don't know. But, um, you know, I try to respect everyone. When, when we had people in court, we've had some people that, you know, um, they don't understand the regular boundaries or rules of court and say they would want to get up and talk. And so if I would let them get up and talk and then they would feel fine, you know, and these were people that had been arrested all the time and, you know, thrown in jail and were very angry. And I could understand that, but just respect them and treat them like you would want to be treated. And that's how you deal with people in stressful situations. Sorry to cut you off. That's okay. I'm finished. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, we'll go to the next few candidates and get through this section and we'll take a break. So this next question I'm going to give to Danny Kachaya. So Danny, what are some ways to successfully deal with toxic behavior and setting clear boundaries for yourself? Well, I think it's really important, you know, when you're dealing with decisions that have to be made, tough decisions. One, if you communicate or if there is open communication about what is taking place, um, people will definitely understand, but you're not going to please everyone. To me, uh, it, it's just making sure that you separate, you know, everything and have an understanding of what is being a personal attack versus the situation that the person may be upset about. I think it's real important to separate those um, because, as I've heard I need to say, some people just want to be heard. And I think when it comes to our people, that is the main concern and why some people are exhibiting a many toxic behaviors is because no one feels like they're being heard. When they don't feel heard, they're going to speak out, they're going to lash out, they're going to do things if they don't feel like the people's best interests are being looked after. So I think uh, it relates to the question before this as to making sure that we are communicating what's taking place almost every step along the way if we can. I understand there's NDAs and other things that happen as well, but it's that communication piece. If you communicate with people better, it would help a lot more. So, sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. Thank you, Danny. Um, so... This next question will be going to Dennis White. 
how do you hold yourself accountable to ethical standards and how have you done the tribe due diligence as an employee to be considered to lead the organization? Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, how I hold myself to ethical standards, really, it started all at home. Uh, it started, you know, with my upbringing, with my family. And as I became a law enforcement officer, you know, you had to work for the community, serve the community and be accountable. And as far as the ethics go, you know, ethics is what, what, I, what I drove for. You know, that was, that's what kept me accountable and to be ethical, you know, to have, have my work done and be proud of it. Um, what have I done for my due diligence is, is, you know, I started as a cadet and worked my way up as a chief of police. And during that time, I learned, I learned a lot from the community. And that was my greatest training was, you know, working with the people for the people. And, you know, I, uh, I guess I'm proud to say that I did serve the community as long as I have. And I was proud to be a leader in this organization. Right on the minute. Thank you, uh, Dennis, for that answer. Um, and uh, can you go to the next slide, please, Mikey? Um, this next question will go to Alvis Smith III. Um, so Alvis, how would you handle a scenario where you had to make a difficult decision on tribal council that might upset people? Well, same as Dennis and I've worked, well, I've worked in the law as an officer and a lot of times we were put in situations where we, while well, even working with family and tribal, tribe is family, we had to do things that were for the safety of family members and everything. And we had to just follow through and just uphold the codes. But in the field I am, where I work now, sometimes like where we get these settlements and we had to put, put the funds into the buildings rather than the people are wanting the funds but i think in the long run it's more beneficial when we like get each back for the for the public buildings at the community center and there's just budgets there where we're investing in the buildings for the community for the long run instead of giving the people back the funds that they were wanting to spend like with the COVID funds i was glad to see all that funding going into the buildings that's the situation I mean, those are decisions that, that I find hard. Not, I think more investment in the drugs is more beneficial for us. Great. Thank you uh, for the answer, Elvis. Um, I'm going to go over to Austin Green and ask, how would you handle a scenario where you had to make a difficult decision on tribal council that might upset people? Uh, thank you. We're playing musical chairs up here, and uh, I guess now got to the, the screen here. Uh, that is a very interesting question. And, you know, through the four terms of tribal council that I had served on, you know, the, the first two terms, there were some very difficult decisions that were having to be made. But you want to try to keep the people informed first and foremost on some of these difficult decisions that tribal council has to make. You know, the last two terms, it was uh, serving as the chair. I could only direct, try to direct the council to make direct decisions on some of those difficult decisions. One, for example, I sat 
with you know one one enterprise that closed and um, the vice chair and myself try to influence the council but it, it just did not go that way so I know that was one thing that would really upset the people but I had no choice in it because you know as the chairman you had to just go with the vote of the council but I think I'd really uh, try to explain it directly to the people and the constituents not only the constituents of the agency but all the membership that those decisions impact thank you Thank you, Austin, for that answer. And this next question will go to Mike Clements. Um, Mike, what ways can official tribal council information be professionally and routinely shared with tribal membership for transparency when it comes to both routine and major decisions? Uh, during my lifetime, the best way to help uh, keep people on top of things is face-to-face. And I've always been a proponent of, uh, of uh, tribal meetings, general meetings and district meetings. And of course we have protocols with those, but that, that is the best way. The radio station helps. I like the idea of having a camera in the council room so we can see what's going on. Uh, many tribes have gone to that scenario. Uh, they also have uh, places in their newspapers for tribal council members to share their their reports and their uh, their information to the people. Uh, their executive officers also give reports routinely in their newspapers. And so this is a way to keep people on top of what's happening in and around the community. So those are some of my thoughts. And this, this same question will be going to Ryan Smith. Uh, what ways can official tribal council information be professionally and routinely routinely shared with tribal membership for transparency when it comes to both routine and major decisions? I think the probably the, the first thing is uh, anytime anything major is going to be decided on, you, you really need to uh, educate both the council and the public. And part of that is uh, whether it's a, a draft as a resolution or, or adjustment to ordinances, you really need to uh, have that up front to say that we're considering this. But on the on the devil's advocate side is you, you really need to make sure that you actually have a very good draft of whatever you're changing. So you, you, you need a really um, uh, uh, detailed, um, you know, uh, uh, plan of attack or or written language uh, before you get there. So, you know, it's important to include people, but it's also important to do um, work. And as far as uh, sharing that, you know, that comes into the public meetings to consider um, and then a draft. I mean, just like anything else, you know, and it's a matter of how many people uh, are a public process right now is, is not very good. And the only thing you really see people attending is the general council meetings. Whereas I think we, if we had more stuff, we could uh, get to the discussion and don't just have the people that are impacted by it uh, representing the whole tribe. And that's where we've been as people that are impacted by anything, by these major things are really uh set up to, to represent the whole tribe, and that's really unfair. Thank you, Ryan, for that answer. And at this time, we have concluded the first section of the questions. 
or this uh, question is going to be going to Dennis White the third. Do you have any suggestions for how to give tribal members more equitable representation? Get to the voters for the people can speak on that. Uh, I don't believe that's that's something. I don't believe that some council should have. That should be brought up to the people, and the people should have the right to decide on that. And the people can give you know their their look on the matter, their talk on the matter, and and speak up. And the people need to vote when it comes up. You know they want the communication. They want you know everything. We we need to be there for them and put that before for the people. That's all I got to say on that matter. Great, thank you for your answer, Dennis. Um, I'm gonna ask the same question of Danny Kachaya. Um, Danny, do you have any suggestions for how to give tribal members more equitable representation? As, I mean, kind of continuing on with what Dennis has already covered, that is something that it would require a constitutional amendment and then if the people want that, I do believe, you know, that council is the one that has to bring that forward, bring it to motion, write up the language with the attorneys and everything, and then present it to the people to the vote. So I have heard from numerous people, this is what the people want is somehow changing. How that equal representation is equal, um, well, it will definitely have to look into how many people are actually living on the reservation versus off the reservation. We have so many tribal members that are not only that are voting age, but not living on the actual reservation. So when you're talking about um, agency being like the agency in Sinasha being Sinasha and Siksiko being Siksiko, yes, those are the actual familiar areas, but um, a lot of people don't live on the reservation. So it would be making sure that everyone is in registered in the district in which they want to be represented. Great, thank you for your answer, Danny. Um, I'm gonna ask the same question of Jim Menon. Uh, Jim, do you have any suggestions for how to give tribal members more equitable representation? Well, I, I think it's, uh, it's clearly a constitutional question and the only way to do that is to vote of the people. Uh, so it's the tribal council's responsibility to draft the language that would be presented to the people for discussion. How, how would we go about doing that? I think would have a, it would you know have to be a discussion had at the table with regards to how do you make this equitable? And when we say equitable, we're talking about one person, one vote, kind of equal representation, uh, e equal ratio of of uh, voter to uh, tribal council person. Uh, so I think there has been a lot of discussion. There has actually been action in the past on this uh, via uh, previous uh, previous leaders that have brought it forward and it's, uh, it's struggled to pass uh, for a number of reasons. But I, I think it's the tribal council's responsibility to go to the people and ask, is the language we currently have not adequate? And if so, propose we, the table, propose a new language that fairly represents Jim, all members. Your time is over. Thank you okay. for your answer. Um, this question is going to be for Reina Estimo. Uh, Reina, in looking 
at the structure of tribal organization, we have developed boards, committees, and commissions to assist the tribal council. Do you feel this is an effective way to continue to operate? If yes, please explain how you feel the boards, committees are currently being utilized effectively. And if no, please explain your ideas about what might work better. Thank you. Um, so I don't, I don't think the current method is an effective way to operate because there isn't any legislation occurring anywhere. Um, so I think that alone shows how ineffective it is. And I've commented on a question like this in the past. Um, I know the most effective meetings that I ever had when I served on um, a committee was a joint, a joint committee meeting where all the committees come together and discuss issues. And that's the that's a model that that I would support because I think that I think that no matter what you're talking about, it always crosses into another sector of the government. Education and culture, health affects everything. Um, all of you know, timber, range and ag, forestry, all of that um, affect each other. And I think that the committees need to be more joint and meet more jointly. And that way they're all working together. They're getting all the expertise around the table. They're able to hold each other accountable. And I think that would be the most effective use of our committees. I also think that tribal council needs to have a direct, um, I guess, relationship or appearance with the committees as well. Great, thank you so much, Rena. Um, this next question is also still going to be going to Ryan Smith. Um, Ryan, do you feel this is an effective way to continue to operate? And if yes, please explain how you feel the boards and committees are currently being utilized effectively. And if no, please explain your ideas about what might work better. I think, um, you know, in the bylaws, the council has the ability to uh, determine what committees they want. So uh, as far as effective, I, I think there's probably three or four, and I would beg to differ on, you know, uh, being on the Fish and Wildlife, uh, just to, you know, educate people on uh, setting hunting seasons, setting fishing seasons, uh, taking part in uh, the Salmon Treaty, the Water Treaty, the U.S. v. Oregon court cases. I mean, you could be busy the, the whole month. And, and part of that was I had to pick what I wanted to, but that's just one of it. The, the culture committee and the land use committee, I think are just as valuable. And, and if we um, tried to figure out how to um, do some of that, we would uh, uh, definitely be a, a better uh, setup. And, and, you know, um, if anybody wants to see some of the past um, ideas I had, I hate to put anybody under the bus, but there, there is some letters that I did for the committees that I thought were um, something we need to move on. So uh, I think they're just a sm smaller amount of people would help be helpful. Great, thank you. Um, this, this same question is going to be also going to Mike Clements. 
Um, so Mike, in looking at the structure of the tribal organization, we have developed boards, committees, and commissions to assist the tribal council. Do you feel this, in a, this is an effective way to continue to operate? And if yes, please explain how you feel the boards and committees are currently being utilized effectively. And if no, please explain your ideas about what might work better. Yeah, this is Mike. Um, I don't really have any problem with the uh, the way the, the committee structure is operating from years past and uh, the knowledge that I have of committees, they serve as the eyes and ears of the council at their pleasure to, uh, they should have some knowledge base to draw from in the areas that they serve. Part of the problem in the past is uh, some of the council members get a little picky about what, from what district a person's from they don't go along with the qualifications and knowledge area because they see it as another job opportunity, which is not really good. But in terms of the structure itself and the value of their work to the council, I think is real good. When you look at the treaty rights, all the health and welfare issues, the livelihood matters with economics, they all do a fairly good job. Some of them are not... Uh, do not have enough knowledge from which to draw. So there should be some training and education effort to those committee members to serve the council. So they'll do a good job. Great, thank you, Mike. And we are going to go to the next question, please. So this question is gonna be going to Alvis Smith III. Alvis, can you share your knowledge of the constitution and bylaws of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, which is the basis for our tribal government and which formed the tribal council as the government's governing body? All right, Ari, right here, Mike. Um, it's limited, but I believe, I mean, with a lot of our, a lot of our grant funding, I know that we're, Bringing in, you have to have three, three governing bodies. I mean, three, three bodies that you have to report. I was prepared to answer the other question, so I'm kind of lost right here. But um, I know, I mean, all of our policies and our codes and everything, they have to go in front of the tribal council, but we have to do research from the people. Everything has to go in front of the people. So, I mean, it's everything is set in place to serve the people. And I just know we have to be careful when we, we're we going outside of our treaties. I mean, that's the main thing we have to protect. I mean, as a student, and I've always been, I've represented our student council in BC as a youth and leadership in BYU. And we had to, part of it was learning our treaties. And I know that just, I mean, everything has to surround around that. And I'm sorry. I mean, it was, my answer is limited, but that's all I have to say. Yeah, sorry for um, any questions that may be throwing folks off. Um, this is uh, random questions that are being randomly chosen. Um, so the same question will be going to Rain Circle. Uh, Rain, can you share your knowledge of the constitution and bylaws of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, which is the basis for our tribal government and which formed the tribal council as the government's governing body? Okay, I understand that you're asking me about my knowledge of the Constitution bylaws of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. Um, my knowledge is exactly what's written down, right? I have our Declaration of Sovereignty, our Constitution, and a copy of the treaty, right? Um, I read it, I understand it, 
but also know that there are some aspects that are interpretation. And so with that, I would go with the past interpretations through the decades as they've applied with um, corporate charter and other um, programs that we've instilled, all right? Because in my last job, we had set rules that were put down, written in stone, right? They changed as the decades changed and as the situation changed. Um, now, as far as my knowledge, it's written down, okay? My knowledge is almost irrelevant. All I have to do is read it, okay? I just, ha it's interpreting it for the people is um, the important part and the consensus of interpretation with the rest of the council and uh, doing those things. Great, thank you for your answer. Um, Anita Jackson, can you share your knowledge of the constitution and bylaws of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, which is the basis of our tribal government and which formed the tribal council as the government's governing body? Um, well, I could go on and on about that for a couple days. <laughs> so I will try to, um, you know, make it short. Uh, the constitution and bylaws you know, does form the basis of our government. Um, it, I think it needs to be amended. Um, there are several parts that are either outdated or do not serve our people well. And the constitution is a, a piece of work for the people and by the people. So <clears throat> for instance, tribal membership, you know, that has been amended several times, but one of the things that we've never done is step away from blood quantum, which was a federal policy to get rid of Indians. And, uh, you know, sort of, uh, we would, our blood quantum would go so low that we wouldn't be Indians anymore. And actually, unfortunately, that's happening. Um, so we need to rethink how we do our membership. We need to rethink, do we want a one branch government, which is what we have now, so that the council is over the court and administration, as well as the legislative body. And, you know, there's no checks and balances. And I, I really think that we have suffered from that and we continue to suffer from that even in this council. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that we need to seriously look at and make some changes. Thank you. Thank you, Anita, for your answer. And this next question will be going to Glendon Smith. Uh, Glendon, what are your thoughts on lowering the voting age? Why or why not? And following that thought, how would you encourage and educate our youth in the presence about our process of voting? Um. My thoughts on the voting age is that, you know, you have to be <clears throat> 21 to vote. Um, I, I think it should be lowered to 18 because that's when we become adults. So, you know, that's, that's when our rights should start is when we turn 18 uh, as an adult. What would you do to encourage or educate youth about the voting process? Uh, I think, you know, in, in the schools, there should be a curriculum or some sort of class on tribal government 
whether it be at the K-8 or high school, which gives the kids an opportunity to better understand our constitution, bylaws, corporate charter, our treaty, our policies, uh, the election ordinance. So there's ways to educate our youth with, with the resources we have now. And we just need to put them to use, uh, better use, more effective use. So, uh, you know, getting the, <clears throat> the word out and getting youth more involved um, in these processes too. Like right now, we're going through this election. We should, have, we should be having the youth involved somehow. So um, maybe more youth camps on it. Uh, there's a lot of ways we could do that. There's a, there's a lot of creativity that we could use to educate our youth. So uh, I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan, for your answer. Um, Austin Green, what are your thoughts on lowering the voting age? Why or why not? And following that, how would you encourage and educate our youth in the presence about our process of voting? Uh, thank you, Amanda. You know, right now, under the constant, like the previous question was on the Constitution and bylaws, of course, that's that is in there under written as 21 years of age. And right now that if they talked amendment to that, of course, that have to go back to the people as well to uh, lower the voting age. Right now, you know, in the modern world, they do have every youth has a, you know, a cell phone and, you know, they're on there constantly. And that probably be the best way to try to educate our youth. You know, they, if something goes wrong with your phone, you know, you want to give it to a youth, they'll fix it for you. But, you know, I think back to the main question of process of voting, I think uh, right now it, it'd have to go back to the people, but as the constitution states, it is 21 years of age right now. Thank you, Austin. And um, lastly, we have Val Switzler. So Val, uh, what are your thoughts on lowering the voting age? Why or why not? And following that thought, how would you encourage and educate our youth in the presence about our voting, our process of voting? Thank you. Uh, this would, you know, uh, as it has stated before that it needs to be a constitutional change right now as a I'll also mentioned you have to be 21 or married uh, to vote. You have to be uh, in, in order to um, change it to a lower age, you need to uh, go through the process uh, to, to change that. And so I'm, you know, educating the youth and the activism that it would take to change it would be a learning experience for, for them, uh, you know, all our youth are, are smart. They're, they're, you know, uh, there's no uh, bars on them. And so if they can look and see to, and go to the constitution and, and uh, read through the whole thing and work through the processes, you know, who knows, uh, we could have an election that would lower the voting age or make some constitutional changes to um, the constitution and bylaws. So, you know, those are, those are my thoughts. I Thank you, Valerie. Um, and we're going to go into the next section. Um, and this next question will be for um, Rain Circle. 
So Rain, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending? How will you utilize tribal member input in the budgeting process? I would prioritize tribal spending with whatever's most advantageous for the people. Um, getting back to work is important. So that's where I would focus a lot of that money on getting people back to work because work is therapeutic and it, uh, it provides and creates a pride and self-respect that nobody can take away with you. Um, and that's how I would utilize the tribal member um, and their input. Um, I have a lot of different ideas for immediate uh, employment, right? But that's all about making sure that the, um, the funding's there, right? For those tribal members. Uh, for example, a program just cleaning up the entire, you know, um, living areas and reservations that makes everybody feel better, right? And I was talking today earlier about it with some people around here, uh, other tribal members, but um, yeah, I would, I would want to prioritize by putting people back to work and um, finding out what it is, the kind of jobs they want, as well as showing them what kind of jobs that are needed for um, the reservation to reinstill pride and pride in community. Thank you. Thank you for your answer, Rain. And next we'll go to Jim Mannion. Um, Jim, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending and how will you utilize tribal member input in the budgeting process? Well, I, I think the, uh, the prioritization of the funding needs to be uh, infrastructure. Uh, it, it's clearly without a strong infrastructure, uh, community is going to continue to struggle. Uh, we, we can't build economic development on the current infrastructure we have. Uh, it, it needs to be addressed and, and addressed, uh, you know, fairly rapidly if we want to really start advancing and creating jobs and, and uh, an economic base here. So I, I would say, you know, infrastructure, spending money on infrastructure is important and communicating that to the people. I think the people are are already well aware. Uh, all you have to do is uh, listen to some of the uh, uh, news and really talk to folks on the street and you know say, let's fix this. How do we fix it? So membership, listening to membership and understanding, you know, we've got to get the infrastructure fixed. Thank you for your answer, Jim. And we're going to go to um, our next person, uh, Val Switzler. Um, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending? spending and how will you utilize tribal member input in the budgeting process? Thank you for your question. Uh, tribal member, tribal spending would um, be taking a look at what needs to be, uh, you know, addressed first. And uh, I believe that uh, it was Jim that said infrastructure. If we don't have infrastructure, we don't have small business, we don't have uh, places to work just like today um, you know we're having troubles with the water and um, we've had troubles with internet we've had troubles with phones we've had troubles with and so all of these things are uh, built upon one another whether it's uh, water infrastructure internet infrastructure uh, in, in, you know education is going to be uh, a major part of uh, bringing things back together and teaching our, our students and our, our, our people how to do this stuff on our own and so that we can help ourselves. And I know I saw that Sue had the 45 second sign, so I'm going to cut out there. <laughs> Thank you, Valerie, for your answer. 
Um, and we are going to next go to Austin Green. So Austin, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending and how will you utilize tribal member input in the budgeting process? Thank you. Um, you know, the tribal spending first and foremost comes from those enterprises that offer up a dividend to the tribes and effectively using that uh, through the budget process that usually starts around May of each year with input that drives the organization and the government itself. And, you know, that comes in and uh, keeping the enterprises uh, um, <clears throat> revenues is their contribution to that um, tribal structure based on spending. You know, you cannot spend nothing you don't have and you have to take into consideration the grants and uh, indirect costs, all of that that comes in. And, you know, the once we're past this pandemic, I think whether it be me or the next council that goes utilize that um, district meetings and general council meetings on the budget to make sure the tribal members are uh, accurately put with what's available in those coffers from the enterprises that drive the organization. Thank you. Thank you, Austin, for your answer. Um, this next question is also going to be going to Glendon Smith. So Glendon, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending? How will you utilize tribal member input process in the budgeting process? Okay, well, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, under the Constitution, it says the, the council is supposed to uh, run, get a, or <clears throat> implement a referendum for any Thing twenty five thousand or more, so I know that's kind of um, ridiculous. I hate to say, you know, excuse my words. Um, I I think we need to up that threshold to maybe a hundred thousand, because referendums cost six to seven thousand. It's not cheap. So, uh, following the budget ordinance, we need to make sure we have our meetings during the budget process. I know we didn't really with the pandemic. So um, we need to get back to that with this next council and that's having a, a district meeting, one district meeting and a, a general council meeting and then following our constitution, but amending the constitution and then following it. So uh, that's for tribal funds only now. And, and I see this is for tribal spending. So. Um, just following our policies and uh, making sure the people are included in those decisions. Thank you. Thank you, Glendon, for your answer. And lastly, um, we're going to have this question for Reina Estimo. So Reina, if elected, how will you prioritize tribal spending? How will you utilize tribal member input in the budgeting process? Thank you. Um, as far as prioritizing tribal spending, I mean, that starts with just establishing priorities. As a body, tribal council needs to establish priorities. And that way, when funding comes up, you know how you're going to spend it because you've already created these priorities. So I wouldn't say as an individual what that would be because council needs to decide that as a body, what those priorities are. Um, I'm glad to know that this tribal council finally made priorities because I've never seen any. It was never shared with the people. Um, I agree with Glendon, the process needs to be followed. That's 
in the code as far as budget goes and tribal member input. Um, we were allowed to make comments on the budget, but nobody ever responded. I know, I don't know anybody who ever got a response from tribal council based on our comments and the budget never changed. So the other way I think we need to utilize tribal member input is we need to have more frequent um, general council meetings with our enterprises and with our departments so that people really truly understand what's going on because we can't give we can't give feedback if we don't know what's what everybody's doing we don't know what they're doing well we don't know what they're not doing so well and so you know let's not wait till the end of the year to try to do all that great thank you for your answer Raina. and um mikey next slide please so this question is going to be going to Danny Kachaya. What do we want for basic reservation infrastructure? This can include water, sanitation, electricity, telephone, cell service, internet connectivity, and roads. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, right now, we're living third world country. Right now, most of the community in the agency area and the outlying areas need water. Water's life, as we have always said. We need to make sure, you know, we have a good clear plan on what is part All of it is needed um, just for basic needs. Now, what would be considered first, of course, water. And I'm glad to hear the update that the water is actually being fixed. And then after that, you know, I, I think the connectivity issues, the tribe being shut down because they do not have cell phone or do not have telephone service, internet, that has to be addressed. There's so many different things when we're talking about our infrastructure that we have to do. We really need to prioritize and get to the people so they do know and understand what is being worked on. I think that's the biggest thing. Like Chico's update, get it out there. You know, that's the main thing that I think why people are so frustrated is because there's no communication. So when it comes to infrastructure, whatever plans are being made, put it out there to the public. Great, thank you for your answer, Danny. Right on the minute mark. Um, this next, or this uh, question is also going to be going to Dennis White the third. Uh, what do you want for basic reservation infrastructure? Just like Danny said, uh, first and foremost, water. Uh, we're all living it now. We're all going through it. Um, you know, we have some members with no water running. You know, ours is on for. Luckily, it's been on, but we can it can go at any time. Um, you know, all of these are great infrastructures. You know, the housing we need we need that water for our housing to to make up you know, to make up, uh, to keep our housing expanding, you know, our sanitation, that's a great one. Um, you know, where, what are we gonna do with our sanitation? It's closed, we're being, well, it's not closed, but we're, we're dumping and we don't know where we're gonna be going next, you know, and like the internet connectivity, you know, this, that shut down our tribe. That shut down our tribe, that shut down, you know, the commun basic communication um, that costs the tribe money to be shut down. So, uh, with that being said, I see my forty-five. So, um, this same question was actually going to be going to you, Mike. Next, so uh, what do we want for basic reservation infrastructure? Okay, up 
this way and all over the reservation when I travel, it's pretty sad. When you look at the condition of our reservation, for me, it's all about maintenance and prevention. The start should be there. We haven't done that over the years, so we are where we are. Look at our water. Come look at my sanitation dump up here and see what you think. It spreads out through the community. The next thing on my uh, short-term list on my campaign trail is fast speed internet. The world is going by us. The future is in fast speed internet for business, for every individual tribal member. And our roads uh, need to be upkept. Uh, we've lost a lot of funding for our roads. So we need to work on that. So this uh, maintenance and prevention needs to be put into the planning. Great, thank you for your answer, Mike. And as a reminder, please uh, stay muted if you are not speaking. So the same question is also gonna be going to Ryan Smith. Uh, what do we want for basic reservation infrastructure? Well, well, I guess um, probably one of the bigger things, I know we're talking about the water source, but um, rumor has it the wastewater is at capacity. So as far as growth goes, we're gonna have a real uphill battle trying to figure out how are we gonna uh, grow and then still take care of our, our own water. Uh, electricity part is, uh, you know, we don't have a public utility districts and that's really killing our people when uh, PP&L uh, charges so much. And uh, some of the other parts of the reservation are under a PUD where they don't have as uh, a big of a hit on their electricity bill. Um, uh, the cell service, you know, we got, um, the one out at the lodge and you know att at&t took a run at trying to put a, a tower up and that got shot down the telco is you know um boy we, we're we just you know the tribe needs to put up or shut up and and tell them that they're no longer a sole source and and we look to better service uh the roads part is is a real tricky one because as we uh uh, take out roads in the timber it, it affects what we get down here but you know that that money should be going out in the timber as well too and and there's some issues on our natural resource area and then the sanitation if we really need to reopen them transfer stations we work really hard at getting those in and i know people it's helpful thank you Thank you, Ryan, for your answer. And um, Elvis Smith III, uh, what do we want for basic reservation infrastructure? Just like, I mean, we, we already own our own power enterprises. I mean, we want to quit paying so much for our own, our own product. That's one of the main things I hear the people talking about. And the main thing, I mean, right now it is the water. We want, to, we want reports on, we've invested so much into our water system now. I mean, it isn't outdated anymore. We want the professionals to be the ones, and if they're not professionals working, I mean, that's they, they keep asking for training. Why aren't there individuals out there with these contractors working directly with them? And that's your education right there. It's experience. You're seeing it being put together. Let's get them out there. So when it does happen, or and they know how to take care of it themselves. I believe our professionals are being held on mute and we're not able to invest into our own people. I mean, this is a big thing to where we're going out. We have people who went out there, got the knowledge, worked out there for years, commercial, 
residential. We bring them back in our own tribe is invest into their knowledge. It's more of a political turn. I think we need to quit being political and start thinking about the people and using our professional people at the right levels. And I think that's the people need. Thank you, Elvis. Um, and Anita Jackson, uh, what do we want for basic reservation infrastructure? Okay, thank you. Um, well, we've been working on this. Um, well, we've been working on the, the water treatment and wastewater facility since before this current council. And it's, it's a long process. It's a very expensive process. So we've been working on what do we need to do? What, you know, money is available. We work with a um, variety of funding resources. Um, we have our senators that have been, um, you know, earmarking money for us. So we've, uh, you know, we've, I, pre I feel pretty comfortable about the, the water and wastewater treatment facility. Now we really need, you know, the uh, internet. We need our phone calls. We need electricity. The electric company is the one that uh, their old and faulty wiring was the one that, that made us have so many long outages this last summer. And now they've, they've admitted that that's their responsibility. And so they are slowly fixing it. But we need to be more um, on top of that. We need to have more government to government meetings with the state people and the, and the uh, national people <clears throat> so that we make sure that we have their support and their funding when we look at our basic infrastructure. We can't do anything Thank at this you. point until we get that up. Thank you for your answer, Anita. Sorry to cut you off. I heard the bell, but I lost Sue. So we'll just do the one minute bell if that's okay with candidates. So this question is, can you choose one of the following topics and talk about issues that are involved? Um, missing persons, search and rescue situations, restorative justice versus punitive justice, um, and aggressive loose dogs. And we'll first start with Danny Kachaya. Okay, so choosing one of the topics, obviously the hot topic of hand is the missing persons. I know in some slight research on that, that we used to have one of the strongest search and rescue places where we were the example. For whatever reason that has went away, and sure it probably had to do with funding, but when it comes to our missing persons, I think, you know, we need to really revamp up that because it is a huge issue. We witnessed several of our fellow tribal members have to go through with their parents missing and many people volunteering and trying to get that action in place. Um, I think, you know, that we should have a plan, a plan of action in place already and people ready to come forward and be part, you know, to do what they need to do to help our people find those missing people. And I, I think, yeah, that's all. So this question is also going to be going to Val Switzler. Um, can you choose one of the following topics and talk about the issues that are involved? Uh, restorative justice versus punitive justice. I realize that we have uh, punitive justice uh, in place here. Uh, restorative justice would be more like uh, 
the way that was set up in the past where, you know, if somebody did you wrong, then it would be up to you to go and try to make amends and whatever that looks like. And so I really, you know, wish that was uh, something that we could initiate here and with, uh, you know, and having uh, that model for our for our students, maybe it's those students that will be able to uh, help us guide through this process as they uh, look at ways to, um, you know, come to uh, understand between families because uh, right now, you know, it's so heartbreaking to hear about, um, you know, my. Uh, I just got back from a funeral and the, the, and the person was murdered. And so how do you fix that? How do you come to grips and deal with that? And so I really believe that uh, we uh, need Sorry. to put our laws, I know, and then, you know, just, just try to work on those kind of processes. Okay, thank you. To, sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. Thank you. Um, we're also going to ask this question of uh, Rain Circle. Uh, choose one of the following topics and talk about the issues that are involved. Um, well, missing persons in search and rescue. I was part of that group back in the day. So, um, and I know there's a lot of entities throughout the state. So that's kind of uh, just asking for help at this time until we get our own crews trained back up again. Aggressive loose dogs. Honestly, that's a pretty easy solve. There's not much that needs to be said about that, right? But restorative justice versus punitive justice, I very much concur with Val on that um, because that will help to uh, fill those rifts between people on our reservation, which I think is incredibly important because uh, it's not like we got people coming from outside of our borders coming in and violating the law here predominantly, right? It's us victimizing each other. And so, yeah, restorative justice would be incredibly important to forgive and um, be able to move forward from those violations and also take us back to a cultural aspect and a uh, historical aspect of justice. So I am all in favor of that. I think it's healthier than punitive justice. And um, that's all I have to say. And this next question will be asked of uh, Austin Green. Austin, how can we successfully address issues related to mental health, substance abuse, and addiction in Warm Springs in ways that have not been yet tried? Thank you uh, on the question. Um, you know, substance abuse comes to mind when it, um, as I look at this as well as um, mental health and addiction. And, you know, I've I was, as a recovering alcoholic myself from 33 years ago, you know, I felt I came back right into what I had left 28 days prior. And I think there needs to be uh, allocation of resources that would talk about uh, a transitional home for those that are now trying to make themselves better within the system of alcohol recovery. And right now we we have tribal members that uh, try to make themselves better and go attend a treatment uh, facility, but you know 
when they come back here, they're, you know, put right back into where, what they left for that caused the problems. And I think the transitional home, home needs to be put at the front burner for those people that are trying to make themselves better. And, you know, alcohol runs rampant in this community as well as, you know, pain pills and huffing and, you know, opioids. So I, I think that those that step away from the reservation to make themselves better at a treatment facility, they need a place to come back that's sound for them. And a transitional home would, would help. Thank you. Thank you, Austin, for your answer. Um, this question will also be going to Glendon Smith. How can we successfully address issues related to mental health, substance use, and addiction in Warm Springs in ways that have not been yet tried? Um, well, I, I think about uh, ways that we haven't tried is, and maybe we have uh, more partnerships with some of the successful resources in, in the surrounding areas. Um, you know, geographically is a tough place to live with the limited resources we have. I think we do the best we can with what we have. Uh, we, we, we need to enter into more MOUs with treatment centers, um, you know, even just outpatient centers uh, in Madras and Redmond. Um, people go to treatment, <clears throat> you know, three or four times before they recover. So uh, not giving up on the, the ones that um, go to treatment repetitiously uh, because that's probably what it's gonna take for them to get clean. Um, yeah, I agree with the alcohol and drug-free housing. We need to have more of that on the reservation, more, more rules. Um, we need to be, we need to enforce some of our policies on, on that. And, and encourage people to, you know, follow those rules. Thank and, you, Damien, for your answer. Sorry, I heard the bell. Okay, thank you. Um, Alvis Smith III, how can we successfully address issues related to mental health, substance abuse, and addiction in Warm Springs, and in what, in what, in ways that have not been yet tried? What I've, I've saw the opportunity is with our closed lodge. I mean, we'll have opportunity to invest some of these settlements from the, some settlements that we do receive. We could turn the lodge into a treatment center, treatment facility with different values, like whether it be traditional, whether it be like physical, like, I mean, physical exercise is a big plus and we're just able to keep our people home we'll be able to bring other people home because you watch, you look at other treatment centers and facilities there in the city, our, our tribal members, they do go there, but when they return home, they're, they're lost once again. I mean, they, it lasts for a little while, but then they have nothing to keep them going. And if we look, keep it local, keep them local, we're able to invest more into their, save their lives more or less. And I see that closed lodge is an opportunity to invest some of our funding and opening up our own treatment center, investing in saving our people. That's just one of the big dreams I see with that, with the um, lodge, investing a lot of our time and efforts into saving our people. 
Thank you for your answer, Elvis. Um, Mike Clements, how can we successfully address issues related to mental health, substance abuse, and addiction in Warm Springs in ways that have not yet been tried? Thanks for the question. I was just saying, uh, over the years, I've watched people fall victim to the disease of alcoholism and drug abuse. And I myself am 36 years retired from that activity. But when I watch people and they come home, I agree with the previous statements there, they really go back to old habits. Some of the things we can do, I, you know, I, we talked in the years past about having a more choices for the people themselves. You know, it's an individual recuperation, I call it, for every individual when they decide to change their life. But they should have some choices. Some of those are traditional ways, you know, if they had a place to go to work with uh, some people in sweating and talking, uh, asking how you do things. And then there's the more modern ways to these treatment centers. So there's a number of ways there should be some choices. Over in our health clinic, I think our health providers steer us sometimes into habitual use of, of uh, opiates and uh, steroids that hook us onto long-time habitual habits. So we need to research some of those processes that are they're, they're applying on us as, uh, as patients. So these are ways that we need to watch out for our people. Thank you, Mike, for your answer. Um, Reina Estimo, how can we successfully address issues related to mental health, substance use, substance abuse, and addiction in Warm Springs in ways that have not yet been tried? I think um, I think it all starts with addressing the mental health part of it, and and educating the community to understand addiction and how it affects your body physiologically and that it's a disease, it's not a choice. People don't use substances and abuse substances because it's fun, it's because there's some kind of unresolved trauma that they're trying to deal with and they've never been taught how to deal with it. And so I think having a really strong mental health program is very important, but I agree with everything that everyone else said. And it has to be, we have to develop a comprehensive plan. And when you study the physiology of the brain and addiction, it takes the brain two years to fully recover from addiction. And so we need to develop a program that's at least two years long that addresses, that addresses more than the addiction and the mental health, but that teaches them job skills and, um, coping skills, spiritual, has a spiritual aspect to it that addresses every single part of their health. And it has to be a long comprehensive program. Great, thank you, Raina, for your answer. And real quick, I just want to um, acknowledge the time and we have not even made it halfway through our questions. Um, so just as a reminder, all the questions will be sent out to the candidates who RSVP'd and who are uh, currently here. So um, if you haven't had the chance to get your uh, questions answered, they will be emailed out and also posted on social media. So we're just going to continue through this and hopefully get to closing statements just to be very respectful of everyone's time. I know we're in the middle of the week, so I know people have to get to bed. So um, if we can go real quick to the next question, Mikey, please. And it will be to Jim uh, 
Mannion, uh, how do we approach the lack of available housing and how do we help the homeless? How do we approach the lack of available housing? I, I think um, we attack it with, uh, with the commitment of uh, getting the uh, existing homes that we have in despair up and running. And I know housing's working on that, uh, but we commit to it uh, at the leadership level uh, and put a priority in place and with objectives, measurable object objectives that say, we've got this many homes that we need to be, that need to be uh, built and we get and track those. Uh, I think that's one way to probably keep the leadership informed on, you know, what's the need, how are we going to fill it, and what's the timeline to get it done. Uh, sounds sounds uh, easy to say, but uh, it's not as easy to do. There's a lot of things involved uh, on the federal side with regards to funding and how that unfolds, but establish some priorities and, and start attacking it that way. Uh, how do we help the homeless? I think uh, we, we have to create opportunities in the community that we haven't seen uh, that help individuals help themselves and and our, uh, ramp up our social services program to identify what tools that they may have to help uh, in that in that effort but creating opportunities I think for individuals to get employed uh, is a, a great start and uh, helping them help themselves uh, and help the community so uh, Great, thank you, Jim, for your answer. And Dennis White, um, how do we approach the lack of available housing and how can we help the houseless community? Oh, thank you. Um, how do we approach the lack of available housing? Uh, currently, I work in construction and you know I see we have a ton of boarded up houses and I know that comes from a lack of funding. Um, I know there's no money to fix them. So that, that again would come back to working with housing and understanding where they're coming from and understanding, you know, there, there's money out there and just help each other find it, you know, whether, and then uh, with that being said, you know, as far as, you know, to help the homeless is, you know, I know we have that, that camp that's up and running and, you know, we're, we need more of that. Um, again, that comes back to funding. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough one there. It, it comes back to, to dollars, which the tribe does not have. I know it's frustrating to the communities. I know we have multiple families living in, you know, single homes. And they're asking the same thing is why, why are these houses not, not being fixed? Sorry to uh, cut oh. you off, Dennis. Okay, no problem. Little bell. Um, and this question is also going to be going to um, Ryan Smith. Uh, how do we approach the lack of available housing and how do we help the houseless community? Well, I think the, the, the biggest thing and, and I would propose would be uh, to uh, um, basically get funds. I know the, the Columbia River housing dollars should hopefully be loosened up here and that would be a priority, but uh, I would go to the existing homeowners and buy them out and, and, and put the new families in the old houses after we built it up, but get the existing people that might not have been able to um, pick anything when they got their houses, uh, another shot at 
home ownership, a new home ownership, because uh, I think uh, uh, it's important that we don't uh, reinvest into like we did in the the old offices into 40 and 60 year old buildings. We, we really need to have a, a plan on on how do we get um, and what do we invest in that's uh, reasonable and uh, definitely relook at the trailer courts and uh, um, you know, we, we, we just need to build around our infrastructure that we have established. And, and that includes probably the island, you, you know, and uh, um, maybe we look at some other places we can build. There's, there's a bunch of fields around the, the back nine at Kanita, I heard, might be uh, a housing thing. So um, we, we just really need to uh, get the dollars and and. That's about all I have on that. Great, thank you for your answer. And this question is also gonna be going to um, Anita Jackson. Uh, how do we approach the lack of available housing and how do we help the houseless community? Okay, there, <laughs> sorry. I don't know why I can't figure this darn thing out. Anyway, I'm, I'm really glad to have this um, question. Um, you know, one of the issues with all the boarded up housing is that most of them are contaminated by meth use, which has like a $30,000 bill just to get it back to where someone else can live in it. So that's a very expensive one. Um, and, you know, we need to hold people accountable. But really, my focus is on let's let's invest in some of these other housing programs that are available. For example, there's housing or HUD 184 program, which um, allows tribal members, no matter where they are, to get low interest mortgage rates and build a house wherever they want it. Now we brought that onto the reservation. We changed our laws so that it, it uh, works here, but we couldn't get housing nor credit to buy into it. So we have a couple of people that are doing it now. We have Dustin Saylor, fortunately, in Wiscat, who is ready to help people you know, get through that program. But we really need cooperation with our other partners on the reservation, housing and credit, to help our members get more housing. And I think we may have lost Sherelle Mitchell. I just want to uh, take a moment to pause for a second um, to see if she's on by phone by chance. Yeah, I, I think uh, she lost her connection. Yeah, she was partway through one of her answers and lost connection. Um, so with that being said, we're going to continue on to the next set of um, questions, which really is going to be about um, the economy of our tribe. So, and this first question will be going to um, Austin Green. Uh, what is your understanding of the local economy and the ongoing issue of our lack of a robust business sector? Right now, you know, I really think that, you know, small businesses have not got the chance to prosper here in the community in outlying areas as well. Um, and, you know, it puts a hurt on those that are trying to be successful in a small business, you know, could appreciate the work of the WASCAT team, but, you know, 
uh, right now, you see the old commissary building being moved because the infrastructure is right. And I've seen that plan from the, from the beginning when they were trying to bring small businesses here and somebody's gonna prosper once that building's moved and all set up. But, you know, I think uh, to have robust business, you need to have the infrastructure in place to um, promote small businesses and the campus. Uh, I'd say the campus restoration is really in need, although we shouldn't just focus uh, the business sector right here in the agency district. But I really think that uh, to boost the local economy, small business need to prosper and in infrastructure is the way to go. Thank you. Thank you, Austin, for your answer. And uh, Danny Kachaya, what is your understanding of the local economy and the ongoing issue of our lack of a robust business sector? So understanding of the local economy it, it, it is the appearance that the tribe basically runs everything. So when it comes to all of our businesses, whether it's small or large, the, the main person, I mean, cannabis, like composite products, all of those all answer to the tribal council or answer to their boards who therefore answer the tribal council. So I think, you know, the decisions, of course, have to be made from their and of course, infrastructure is definitely needed, but to, in order to support everyone, it's looking at um, the things that we've already have established, the, the corporate charters, the other, um, the declaration of sovereignty, all of those documents that are all tied together, we need to really look at those because, you know, we can continue to offer and bring in other people to help us with our businesses, but we have to sustain them. So it's figuring out what the people need, what resources we have. And of course, as it keeps coming up, the infrastructure, we can't attract or can't keep businesses if we don't have good infrastructure. And the places that, um, that are actually hosting our bus tribal businesses like right next to, sorry to the casino. Uh, sorry, okay. to I just heard the bell from two. Um, and the next question is also going to be going to Ryan Smith. So Ryan, what is your understanding of the local economy and the ongoing issue of our lack of a robust business sector? Well, I, I think the, the lack of the sector you'd have to say is we don't have people uh, with experience or knowledge of, of business. And I've I've heard this many a times is, you know, we, we train people and it takes a while, but, you know, do they actually have money to invest in there? So, you know, uh, it's both a, a double-edged sword to talk. They don't have experience, but we're not funding them or doing anything else. And, and kudos to them people that are doing it. But, um, you, you know, um, uh, just, just the top of my head, you know, uh, going to the gas station, there's people that, are looking for bathrooms every time. And I had talked to the previous people about why don't we put some bathrooms there and then, you know, build our businesses around the campus area and, and you know, get these people to actually stop here for more than just um, going bathroom or just driving through you. You know, we really need to sell ourselves on that. And I, I just don't think it's happening and Thank need you. to just get moving. 
Thank you for your answer, Ryan. Um, uh, Mikey, can you go to the next slide, please? Uh, so this question is for uh, Rain, Rain Circle. Uh, why do you think there has been a lack of growth for tribal members, small businesses, and can you offer any solutions to supporting local entrepreneurs? I think there's been a lack of growth in the uh, tribal member small businesses due to how many programs that were very, very effective and very helpful those, for those small businesses having gone away, right, and been underfunded or otherwise just disappeared, right? Like the Small Business Center years ago, I utilized it myself. It was very, very helpful. And now that building's completely gone, right? It was super helpful for anyone. Also, um, a lack of sharing the wealth and that knowledge. Um, Internet business and doing business online, um, it can help a lot of folks, especially around here for um, anybody who makes their own product and then sells it. They can send it anywhere in the world, right? They can market and they can brand um, all their own products in the, any way, shape, or form that they so choose. Um, now, <clears throat> supporting them is not getting rid of that. And the infrastructure, yes, is very helpful. Uh, I have problems with connection at home because I have a small online business, but it's nothing I can't work around. Um, I see the small business owner getting cut off at the knees uh, through a lack of programs as well as a lack of support. Um, and then there's no good, healthy business competition either, right? Um, we have very few places to buy our products here, so all of our money leaves the reservation. And it doesn't have to be like that. We can have our own business here for entrepreneurs Um but also we can't have our, you know, um, those resources just taken away. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a delicate balance between helping, but also creating the revenue to fund itself over the long term. Great. Thank you, Rain, for your answer. And Dennis White III, uh, why do you think there has been a lack of growth for tribal members, small businesses? And can you offer any solutions to supporting local entrepreneurs? Thank you. Um, I believe the lack of growth for tribal members, small businesses is location, um, making locations, enough locations for them is infrastructure. Again, they need to be able to get on the water and everything else that we need. Um, but I will say that I know there are programs out there that help train and educate people that want to start their small businesses. Westcat does small business classes. And, you know, by all means, I think we need to support, support them. We need to support the resources that we have and to continue to push tribal members to open their small businesses. And with, with the programs we have, you know, 110%, just keep supporting them. That's all I got on that. Thank you for your answer, Dennis. And um, Mike Clements, uh, why do you think there has been a lack of growth for a tribal member, small businesses, and can you offer any solutions to supporting local entrepreneurs? Okay, uh, thanks for the question. There's many reasons uh, I could, uh, I'm just gonna kind of list them down. Give me some infrastructure, give me some money. There's no banking institution here outside not gonna give us uh, money if we don't, demonstrate that we're a government that can handle these businesses. Uh, give me a licensing to get a location, to going through committees, going through council. Five years later, you're still trying to get a site to sit your property on, to build a building. 
So uh, starting a business is, is not easy. And uh, uh, just a quick one on the housing. I think if our credit uh, program would allow people to stretch out their loans to a longer period of time so they could pay less. And uh, I, I hear Anita talking about the uh, other part of the program we can use, then I think we can help with the housing. But business is, uh, there's a lot of people that want to do it, but it's not easy to get put down and they need money. Hey, thank you for your answer, Mike. And can we go to the next slide, please? Um, this question is for Anita Jackson. So in order to improve our private sector local economy, many have suggested that regulation reform is necessary. Is there a policy code or a process that currently exists that is a barrier to economic development and or that could be changed to encourage economic growth? Okay, that's quite a question. Um, <clears throat> Fairly recently, there was some uh, code changes, and one of it was to do, uh, it established the Economic Development Corporation, and um, you know that is now that's taken the place of uh, ventures, and they're doing a different um, you know different kind of business. Unfortunately, I think better, but also we've had to change when I was in the court we opened up so that we could have, um, you know, businesses were really reluctant to like, to, uh, like let people buy cars or, you know, have credit off the reservation. And so we changed the code policies for the tribal court so that those kinds of cases could be handled by our tribal court so that an off-reservation creditor could could feel confident that if the person that they loaned the money to defaulted, they could come to our tribal court and they would be treated fairly and they would be able to get their money back. And the tribal member would also feel um, protected because they wouldn't have to go to the state court where the state court, you know, has a, a well-deserved reputation that, um, you know, they, they don't like, uh, they don't see Indians as, as good clients, as good um, people to invest in. So I think that's helped, but uh, we, need to, we need to develop that more. You know, people need to know that that's available. Um, one of the businesses that did use that successfully was uh, the Tribal Garage. And, you know, it's helped them to stay in business and recoup losses when people didn't pay their, their bill. So it helps everybody in the long run. It's kind of painful because- you, um, Anita. Sorry to cut you off. Okay, all right, thank you. Um, and this question will also be going to Jim Mannon. Uh, in order to improve our private sector, local economy, many have suggested that regulation reform is necessary. Mm -hmm. Is there a policy code or process that currently exists that is a barrier to economic development and or that could be changed to encourage economic growth? 
Yeah, yeah, there there is a barrier. It's uh, and Anita, Anita was speaking to it. It's the commercial code that allows for access to capital for tribal members to borrow money and build businesses on the reservation. Right now, the only real avenue a tribal member has to build a business and and borrow money is through our credit program because there's no recourse for U.S. Bank to loan a tribal member money and uh, have some access into the court system. So uh, that was uh, part of the discussion when the commercial code was changed as Anita spoke to, uh, but it, it, uh, it didn't uh, quite reach into allowing uh, an economic development opportunity for tribal members on tribal lands. So that is a barrier that, <clears throat> that does need to be looked at. Uh, and uh, it, it does potentially add burden to the tribal court system, which we know the docket is uh, already pretty thick. And so we need to be you know, aware that that is a uh, potential uh, consequence of broadening it. But uh, it, it's really, you know, aside from you know, the, the standard line you've been hearing from a lot of the candidates tonight is uh, infrastructure. Uh, without that, you can't build an economy. Uh, and then the second one is access to capital getting the access to capital for tribal members to borrow from you know, conventional banks elsewhere with recourse in the event they default uh, through our tribal court system. So there's a way to do that through the tribal council's uh, authority and uh, should be put you know, on, the, on the radar for something to take a look at and creating opportunities. Uh, we, we have a lot of small business on the reservation. I mean, I buy fish and berries and roots and I mean, from a lot of gathers wood. Uh, so we have a lot of small businesses. We just don't have a lot of small businesses providing services in the community for, uh, for the types of things that we're talking about in a, in a, a service sense. So we do have a lot of small businesses that are active and we just need to take it one step further, I think. Thank you, Jim, for your answer. And, um, and this uh, next question will also be going to Glendon Smith. So Glendon, in order to improve our private sector local economy, many have suggested that regulation reform is necessary. Is there a policy code or process that currently exists that is a barrier to economic development and or that could be changed to encourage economic growth. Five years ago, council took took a stance on the on the business leasing uh, because of the cannabis, and uh, because the BIA wouldn't sign off on our resolution because it was cannabis. It was a Schedule One narcotic. So that was one barrier that was taken down. Uh, there's others in the federal CFR like. Uh, leasing for wind and solar, uh, agriculture, uh, I, uh, primarily those two that we can also do the same thing. We can take over the, the leasing of those two sectors uh, or we wouldn't have to get BIA's approval. Uh, as far as the local uh, or the private sector, um, I think our business tax is pretty friendly, $25 a year. That's pretty uh, economically friendly. Uh, you see the taco stands across the street, they, they only pay 25 a year. So the tribe doesn't really make anything off small businesses. So it's really friendly to those. Um, I think we need to create uh, a better sector along the highway. We have, uh, that's our market right there. Our market towards our casino is is that is our, the traffic, 
that goes through here. So we need to create a, a private sector along the highway, a better one for small businesses. So it's great. So, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Glendon, for your answer. This question is for Val Switzler. So Val, uh, the tribe follows the federal minimum wage, which is $7.25 an hour, much lower than the state's 12 an hour minimum wage for non-urban areas. That's almost a $10,000 difference per year and is far below a standard livable wage. What are your thoughts on increasing tribal employees' minimum wage and what can be done to address this? Thank you for that. We have currently been practicing uh, that in the education department where we are raising uh, our teachers to a livable wage and, you know, incrementally set, you know, it, uh, when I first come back, it was like people were living on $19,000 a year and you can't live on $19,000 a year. And so, you know, we've been we've been slowly working that scale up. And then uh, now the uh, some of the folks uh, are um, getting a, a better wage at ECE. They're getting a better wage here at the uh, cultural center. So I'm, you know, it comes with a price tag, but again, you know, we worked with grants, we worked with uh, ways to um, move and shift and and create priority in in just dispatch and looking at that as a whole that would be something that we would need to do thank you thank you valerie for your answer um this question is also for reina estimo uh what are your thoughts on increasing tribal employees minimum wage and what can be done to address this thank you for the question i think it's great that branches like education and I know the health branch is also addressing this issue individually and have told their department heads you know you don't pay your employee less than this amount an hour and make it work in your budget and it's really important because I know the the health branch is seeing a lot more people especially since the state raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour you know, the health branches had a lot of employee turnover. And so that's, I mean, that's a huge issue. It's, it needs to be done and it needs to be done at the tribal council level. You know, our departments shouldn't be doing this individually. It's something that the tribe needs to institute and institute fast, um, especially when you're cutting budgets and you're adding job duties onto other people and you're not giving them a livable wage, that's that's a huge issue. And one, one way I think we can address this is we can help decrease costs. Um, one thing that I can think of is childcare. That's a huge barrier for a lot of parents when you're not paying them a livable wage, even if you're only charging them one, two or $300 a month for childcare, that's still a barrier. And I think that um, when it went to the infrastructure question earlier that childcare is infrastructure you know people shouldn't have to pay to work so i think that's one way that we can help if we can find different ways to find affordable services for our employees and our tribal members then you know we can raise these wages incrementally if we have to thank you for your um answer reina pretty soon in a moment we're going to go over to the closing statements of candidates 
So we will be going in reverse order as to what we did um, with opening statements. So with that being said, we're gonna start with Brian Smith. And same thing, we'll have one minute to answer this question. So anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving tri on tribal council and how can community members contact you with additional questions or comments? And if you happen to run out of time, please drop your contact information in the chat or reach, us, reach out to us via email so we can get your information out to the community. Thank you, Amanda. I just wanted to say, you know, um, um, I haven't worked for the tribe for so many years, and 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 I think um, most people that put time in understand that you know uh, nothing's perfect. And um, uh, I think kudos to people that are actually stuck it out with the tribe because that's a, a, a real big sacrifice. As well as you know, you're, you you come to work for the tribe, and that's really important. But I, I think the the last um, uh, I would say at least. 20 to 30 years and and this is one of my concerns is the tribes haven't really earned their stripes i mean i think the the previous councils have done a lot of really good work did a lot of ordinances and a lot of you know foundational stuff and and uh, lately I, I think we have uh, really lacked and and we don't have that expertise anymore and that, that's the whole reason that i'm running you know and it's uh you know a casino in a gorge um you know, a lot of money, the mill, no, no um, salary reductions, no nothing to, to keep it open. Kanita, no salary reductions, no nothing. Um, uh, the Cogen plant, the NASCAR track. I mean, there's a number of issues there. And, and, and you know, I've always had this problem and it probably would uh, turn people off. But you got to say it is, you know, we, we shouldn't be rewarding and supporting these people that took us down these roads and didn't take care of what we needed to in the past 30 years and and you can reach me at email and i'll share that and thanks for your time thank you ryan for your answer and we're now going to mike clements uh anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can community members contact you with additional questions or comments thanks for the question uh most have seen my posts on facebook uh in my mind at this time is uh, you heard a lot of the uh, problems we're having tonight with with financing. We've talked more about spending money than making money as a tribe. And uh, I think we have to do something to get something started so the outside world sees us as uh, people that can complete something, get some results and be doable again, like the younger uh, our, our, our government was years ago. And uh, so I think that uh, my approach to uh, getting back on track is to try to do uh, short-term projects rather than some of the big picture, long-term dreams we've had. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have those dreams, but it does mean we have to get something done now to demonstrate we can be progressive. Look at our internet, look at the roads, the water, the sanitation. When the outside world sees us as non-productive, and spews the language, but lazy and not doable, then they're not gonna be willing to help us. I was just reading about the water money that came to us and what happened to it. When they see us doing those kind of things, they're not gonna be willing to help us as much as they would like. So I'm, I'm beating on the cannabis project, internet and tarot to train our people to get them ready for tomorrow. 
And uh, I'm sorry, but we, we just don't have the money to do these big things. We have to start on first base again, like we did way back in the 40s and the 50s, and then reach out to the to bigger bigger developments a little bit later. So that's my that's my drum I'm beating. I hope that uh, you'll vote for my experience and knowledge uh, through the documents. I would want to say the Constitution and bylaws is every individual right of every member. And if you'll read the objectives to the Constitution, and uh, it's our right to amend that Constitution through the federal regulations, unfortunately. But uh, you can do it. I tried it. We didn't get it done, but that doesn't mean it can happen. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Glendon Smith, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council? And how can community members contact you with additional questions or comments? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I just want to say that uh, a lot of our major documents were shaped by our ancestors and elders, and they were shaped to reflect the times that they lived in. And, you know, which was a, a time when there was integrity and not saying that we don't have that now, but that's kind of, when you look at those documents, that's what you see. But to me, we need to shape our documents to reflect the times going on right now. And I don't look at it as any disrespect to them. If we alter them, we alter them to, to make things better for our people and to thrive so uh, I know I've said this at the radio station, but I what I see going on is uh, a transition. And a lot of younger people are starting to fill key positions. So there's a there's kind of a, a transition of, I, I don't want to say power, but leadership going on, even in just the positions, you know, the key positions. And I want to be part of that transition. I want to be part of that handoff to help shape what our future is going to look like because we're, we're now becoming the, the older ones. And I mean, I'm in my forties, but you know, we're, we're not, we're not getting any younger. And I, I just want to be part of that transition. And so uh, I'll put my email in the chat and uh, my council phone number. And thank you for the question. Thank you, Glendon, for your answer. And Austin Green, uh, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can you be reached with additional questions or comments? Again, thank you, Amanda, and the co-hosts for tonight's uh, gathering of the agency candidates. I'd just like to reflect a little bit back on, you know, the, the, the time I served on council, you know, there was some unfinished business and I really think the transition that is happening with this next council coming into place, you know, I think whether it be me or whoever's seated as the agency representative, they need to hear an outgoing statement by the chairman. And to my understanding, he is not running again, but, you know, there was some key things that never got passed on to the 28th council from when I was replaced as the chairman to share those important informations um, that helped them. I've been, you know, clean and sober for over 33 years and, you know, working with the recreation youth, that was very important to me. And it, it, it counts 
for me today as well. And knowing that, um, you know, the sobriety has brought me a long ways in, in uh, gaining the respect of the tribal membership at community gatherings that uh, I am heavily involved in. I've joined the Washout line and, and you know, that's, that's just things from my side, but you know, there, the people that are here tonight, you know, you were all asked to do something on behalf of the membership. I hope everybody gets out and uses their right to vote, you know, whether it's for Austin Green or any one of you guys, you guys are asked to do something. And, you know, I just encourage the agency membership to exercise that right to vote and get it done. Um, Dennis White the third. Uh, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can community members contact you with additional questions or comments? Yes, thank you for that. Um, first and foremost, I'm just going to say I love my community. Um, communication is the key. Communication is from the memories that I'm talking to is, is really why I'm running. Um, I want to make a difference. I want to be there for a difference. I want to be there for the membership. Um, our membership counts on us and we need to listen to the membership. The membership has a voice and we need to hear that voice. We need to bring things up to our community. We need to have our meetings. Uh, we do need to vote when the times comes up and we need to turn out to vote. With, with that being said, you know, I, I want to be part of this change, but I want to work with our community. I want to be side by side with our community. And, you know, I, I hope things go in that, that right direction, no matter who's at that table. I hope things turn that right direction. It's the best for the people. And that, that, that's my will. That's my hope for this community, for our community. That's all I got to say. And I'll put my email and, uh, the contact list and the messages on the side. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Dennis, for your answer. And uh, Val Switzler, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can community members uh, contact you with additional questions or comments? Thank you. And thank you for um, putting this together for us tonight. You know, I'm really honored uh, to not only be nominated but to be sitting amongst these fine people that, you know, everybody has val values and, and, and thoughts on how we can work for the betterment of the people. And I really appreciate all of the comments that have been, have been made. Uh, you know, I worked for the tribe for nearly 45 years and um, been working since, um, you know, I was able to get a permit. But, um, you know, with that in mind, I'm, you know, I have witnessed for myself, people change because they have um, embraced who they are, love who they are. And, and with that comes language, culture, and tradition. And, and it's using that to get a better connection with the creator. And when we have that, when we're able to have that experience and to uh, 
it just, we become better people because of it. And I just want to say uh, thank you again. I know, um, you know, when we, I'm asking you to come out and vote, of course, you know, it'd be uh, whoever, whoever you think is the best candidate for the, for these positions. But I do hope that um, you think that I'm one of them. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. Um, Anita Jackson, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can you be contacted with additional questions or comments? I just want to say I'm, I'm really honored to participate in this forum tonight and I'm so impressed with the young people that have put it together and you've you've, uh, you know, asked us some really important questions and made all of us think a lot about why we're doing this and what we want to see. Um, we have a bright future ahead of us, but we need to bridge the gap between people my age and the young people. And we need to make sure that you're all brought right along with us so that we teach you what we know, but we also learn from what you know. And, you know, we all have the same goals in mind. We want our community to thrive. We want our traditions to thrive. We want our languages to thrive. You know, we want our fish to be there when we go fishing and our roots and our berries. So we all need to make sure that, you know, we're in the right mindset and that we work together and bring everybody in. Don't wait for people to volunteer, but reach out and bring everybody in to the tribe. And uh, let's listen to everybody and put some of those ideas into, into work. And I did put my um, emails in the chat. So thank you. Thank you, Anita, for your answer. Um, Reina Estimo, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council? and? Um, I've seen you put your uh, website in the chat already. Yeah, um, I just want to let people know that I've, I've always been this person and I will continue to be this person. I value transparency. I value accountability. I have a strong voice and I'm not afraid to use it. And I'm going to continue to be this person. I'm going to, I'm going to speak on behalf of the community. I'm always going to be able to explain to you what I did and why I did it. And I'm always going to be willing, willing to explain that to you. And I think that's one of the biggest issues right now is, is this just this communication. And just like Amanda said, I put my website in the in the chat box and I created that website in one day you know and there's you know we got COVID going on and that's not an excuse you know we need leaders who are going to find a way to get it done and that's 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 me I'm not I'm not the one that's going to make excuses for you I'm going to find a way to get it done and I'm going to and I'm going and I'm going to be there to serve the people I'm not going to be there to serve anyone else sitting at that table I'm not going to be loyal to anyone except for the people, even if you didn't vote for me. And so my contact information is in the chat and I'm willing to meet with people in any way that they want to meet. Thank you, Raina, for your answer. And Jim Mannon, um, 
anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can you be contacted with additional questions or comments? Okay, uh, thank you for setting this up. You guys did a great job. I think it's a, a great opportunity for us to, to learn about each other as candidates, as well as uh, having membership understand what our thoughts are. So thank you for setting this up. Um, I, I think um, I, I think we we need to look as a tribe at at what we can do to to advance. Uh, looking at new revenue resources, uh, looking at how we and what we've done in the past, learning from that and moving forward. There's there's I think a lot of good things that have happened. Uh, there's a lot of good things yet to happen. Uh, at the end of the day, I hope we can all end up with eight new members or eight members of council that come together and are willing to work together on developing priorities and uh, hiring a strong management team. Uh, I, I think the thing that you can uh, take away from, from where I'm at is I, I'm willing to, uh, to make tough decisions. I'm willing to be accountable for those decisions. Uh, Warm Springs is my home. Uh, you can take the, the boy off the res, but you can't take the res out of the boy. Uh, anywhere I go, anyone that knows me across the uh, paths that I've carried and, and crossed, uh, know I'm from Warm Springs, uh, and that's where my heart is. Uh, I'm ready to serve the membership, be open, be transparent, and really willing to make some tough decisions, uh, being fair, firm, and friendly. Uh, and trying to move the tribes and us in a good direction, uh, one that we can be proud of. Uh, we used to be the tribe to look at in terms of an example, uh, and we can get back there, uh, but it's going to take some, some tough uh, decisions, and I'm willing to do that. So uh, thank you, and when you uh, sit down with getting the uh, ballot in front of you and putting the pen to paper, uh, think of, you know, who you would trust and who you would rely on to make those tough decisions. So good luck to everybody. Uh, I hope and pray that uh, we get a group in there that is willing to sit down and really work together and commit to a transparent, open, honest, and uh, move the tribe forward. So thank you, Jim, for your answer. Um, Rain Circle, anything else you would like community members to know about your interest in serving on tribal council and how can community members contact you with additional questions or comments? Uh, first off, uh, community members can contact me through rcircle1975 uh, at gmail or at my uh, Facebook. Um, just look up Rain Circle and you'll find it quite easily. <clears throat> I want to be able to provide purpose, direction, motivation, and accountability for all of our tribal members, regardless of district. The important thing is to vote, 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 vote. Get out there and show the council where the power really lies. And that's with you, our number one resource, and that is the people. Through loyalty, duty, uh, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and pride, I hope to help create a community that our culture and heritage absolutely demands, right? We have a proud history um, that I think a lot of us are forgetting about because we're too focused on too many um, economy and money type things. Um, to which end, as a tribe, hold me accountable as your leader, right? If you vote for me and when you vote for your candidate, hold us accountable. Make sure that we do what it is you want to do because we can't make a successful tribe without you. 
So we have to gain and maintain that contact and that communication back and forth. I hope to do that with you. And we can orient on the objective that is a successful tribe who continues to thrive through the next coming decades and centuries. So thank you. And uh, thank you for everybody else who attended. Thank you so much, Rain, for your answer. And with that, that is our closing um, of all the candidates. Just want to take a moment and thank Shailene and um, Mikey and Sue for coming to together so quickly to organize this beautiful event. Thank you to all the candidates who showed up and, and stayed late. I know we're almost an hour over the anticipated time and um, just want to ask everyone to keep the families um, at our homes uh, in, in your thoughts and prayers as we're going through a difficult time in this moment. Um, but with that, I think we are at a close and uh, you can look forward to seeing this on KWSO or hearing it, I guess. And um, we will be compiling all the contact information and sharing it out as well as some of the questions. So it'll be in your email or can be found on social media. So thank you once again. And that concludes our broadcast here on KWSO of the Virtual Agency District Candidate Forum that was held on Zoom on Tuesday, March 22nd. Those running to represent the agency district on the 29th Tribal Council include Rain Circle, Michael Clements, Raina Estimo, Eugene Green Jr., Anita Jackson, Danny Kachaya, Uran Leonard Jr., James Mannion, Daniel Martinez, Sherelle Mitchell, William Sam, Alvis Smith III, Glendon Smith, Jason Wesley Smith, Jonathan W. Smith, Ryan Smith Sr., Valerie Switzler, and Dennis White III. Election day for the 29th Tribal Council of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs is Wednesday, March 30th. Voting is 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. at the Warm Springs Community Center. Tribal elders will have the option to vote while remaining in their car in the community center parking lot. Drop boxes for absentee ballots are also located at the Simnasha Longhouse and at the Seek Sequa Fire Hall and will be available until 8 p.m. on Wednesday, March 30th. Thanks for listening to the broadcast of the audio from a virtual agency district tribal council candidate forum that was held on Tuesday, March 22nd here on Warm Springs Community Radio, 91.9 FM, KWSO.